This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello again, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. My co-host Bob Wankel and I, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo, we were sitting here ready to ready to pounce, ready to jump down the Phillies' throats after another blown opportunity to win the game, but, but, in the bottom of the 10th, the St. Louis Cardinals kind of give one back to the Phillies, Aaron Altair with the game-winning double, walk-off style, Phillies win it 6-5, to five. somehow are six games over 500, despite the fact that they don't hit and they have no bullpen. But yet, we're here to talk about it. Uh, Bob, welcome back to the program this week. I'm trying to realign my, my thoughts right now. I was so angry. Uh, check my Twitter feed, and you will see some of my thoughts throughout this evening. I was so pissed. I was so angry. Um, it was just, this was a game that, that, it was the latest worst loss of the season for this team. Um, uh, up until the 10th inning, and Aaron Altair uh, flares a single or, I guess, an extra base hit uh, as it became into left field. Marcelo Zuna, terrible play in left field. Ball gets by him, two-run score. The Phillies walk it off, and, and it's a great win. It's, it's a fun win. It's, it's one of those ones that you kind of hope gives them an extra jolt uh, going through the remainder of the series. But if there has been one game this season that has been a microcosm for what this team is, it was tonight's game. You get fantastic starting pitching from Nick Pavetta. He goes into the eighth inning, career high, 13 strikeouts. He was dominant. Uh, horrendous bullpen. <laughs> um, uh, you know, they get the big uh, they get the big hit early from Odubel Herrera, the three-run homer. Uh, they jump out 4 nothing in the first inning. They use the big inning, and then they go dead silent offensively from the second through the ninth inning. They don't score in the final eight frames uh, before scoring in the in the tenth. And, and then some resiliency, and, and they kind of just choke one out, and you go, they're six games above 500. They're 38 and 32. I don't really know how they're doing it. Uh, but if you look at this game tonight, it, it just kind of had all the ingredients of their formula. As unsustainable and infuriating as it may be, this is their formula, and it, it has been moderately successful through 70 games now. So credit to them for that, I guess. Yeah, I guess. And But, you know, I don't know if it's going to be every day that you're trailing by a run in extra innings and the opposition goes, meh, let's intentionally walk the winning run on base. <laughs> yeah. It was, um, you know. The, what the, the Phillies... hell are the Cardinals thinking there? Well, you know what? For a change, it'll be nice to let the, the opposition kind of deal with a crippling loss, deal with a, one of those, you know, head-scratching losses. It, it, because it, it, we've had our share of those, right? You had the, uh, the Mets game that Naris had blown, the uh, game where Nola had outdueled Scherzer on a Sunday afternoon in Washington earlier in the year. You had the game in L.A., the first game of that series where they, uh, Hernandez dropped the pop-up and they blew that game late. Uh, you had the game in Chicago uh, two weeks ago uh, where, where Adam Morgan gives up the grand slam to Jason Hayward. I mean, how many of these, these excruciating, seemingly back-breaking losses has this team experienced this season? And they haven't really had a lot of those dramatic uh, late-inning rally type of wins. So it was just nice for a change to kind of be on the other end of it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't criticize – too much during a win, and you know that's it's one of the things we actually talked about for five minutes before we started recording tonight. And it, it, it's that you know, yeah, you want to be full of of anger and 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 frustration with because of the way things the way things are breaking down with this bullpen at this point. It's really gotten to there is there is one arm, well maybe two arms. I guess I guess at this point we have to start giving credit there. At Ubre Ramos, who's actually pitched pretty well, um, but yeah, there's guy's real- got a .68 ERA. So yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I so think there's we're there so with him, him and Dominguez. Uh, although we don't agree with the way Dominguez is being deployed, but at the same time, they're the only two reliable arms you really have in the bullpen at this juncture. And every night now, we have a different person being trotted out 
to save games. Yeah, you had Hector Naris, who's no longer here. He's down in Lehigh Valley as of this afternoon on Saturday. Uh, pitched a clean ninth inning. You had uh, Jake Thompson mop up Naris's mess yesterday for one out. Um, and then tonight, Victor Arano, who, to be fair... Uh, did record three strikeouts before allowing a run, uh, but Andrew Knapp just didn't make a play. Tough play for him to handle, ball in the dirt, uh, couldn't slide to his right, ball got by, inning extended, and and then they went to Adam Morgan. And, and I'm sorry, I, I do have a little bit of this um, this leftover anger in me tonight. Adam Morgan stinks, and it's... It's a shame because he was a, a mediocre starter, and I respect that he reinvented himself and he had some success at the end of last season. And I know that he throws in the mid-90s and he's supposed to have this wipeout slider and, and all of that, but he is he's wrecked right now. In a bullpen that has had a ton of problems, he is, he is a, a hot mess to the point where I think he almost rivals Hector Naris in terms of his, his – the only word I can think of is ineptitude. I mean, he's worthless to this team right now. Um, and, and I know that you see the tools that he has, but he can't locate his secondary pitches. Uh, the off-speed, he, he's falling behind early in counts trying to throw the off-speed. He has to groove fastballs. He's extremely predictable and, and eminently hittable. And, and he killed them again tonight. And uh, if this – who do you blame? Do you blame Adam Morgan for, for being an ineffective pitcher? Do you blame Gabe Kapler for removing Arano? Do you blame Gabe Kapler for maybe using or overusing Sir Anthony Dominguez in two games in Milwaukee uh, over the weekend? Do you blame Matt Klintak because this is the bullpen that he assembled? Because I think what you're seeing now, you could blame in so many different directions because this is such a hot mess. You know, there is player accountability, but you look at how these guys are being utilized and you're looking at the setup and what Kapler has to choose from, and it's a, it's a limited hand that he's dealing with right now. And it is, a, it is almost remarkable that they have been as successful as they've been this season with what they're getting out of their relievers at this point. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything, Bob, to be honest with you. I mean, you can put a little bit of blame on the manager. You can put a little bit of blame on the general manager. You can put a little bit of blame on the players themselves. So everybody's got a share in this. Um, but, but again, I, I think that the Phillies at this point, it's funny. Like, here we are. It's, you know, we're recording on June the 18th. And I feel like this bullpen is, a, is where they would be come the middle of August. Like, like, like I feel, kind of feel like that's how far into their season they are because of how much they've been – deployed how much they've been utilized um and so i think that's probably a a grand scheme thing but that's you know what it's that's got to be organizational because i'll tell you what if if kapler was doing this on his own like i would think that management would step in and say yo slow down stop you got you can't you're gonna kill the bullpen they must be in agreement with it and that that's disappointing because i'll tell you and I keep hearing this argument from from because it worked right on Saturday. Zach Eflin's pitching a really good game, right? Five strong innings, seventy three pitches. The Phillies have a one run lead, second and third, one out in the top of the sixth, and they pinch hit for Eflin with Michael Franco. And <clears throat> the argument that Gabe Kapler makes is, whenever I have a chance to go for the beginning, I'm going to go for the beginning, and he's he's been consistently saying that. Whether we agree with it or disagree with it, it doesn't matter. The guy has said, and to his credit, he's stuck by those guns. Except that this is not a real opportunity to go for a big inning. Because when you really break it down, and I'm going to break it down right now, okay? I'm going to, I'm going to break this down into several pieces. Because this is, a, this is stupidity, in my, in my estimation. Because now you're, you're taking a pitcher out who's cruising. Okay, fine, you want to go for the big inning. But it's second and third, a left-handed pitcher's on the mound, so you're bringing up Franco, who's, okay, he's going to go up there and hit against the lefty. Oh, but wait, they have an open base, and your next hitter is J.P. Crawford, right? Is that the matchup? Did you sit there and say to yourself, yeah, let's go J.P. Crawford against a lefty reliever here, or against a lefty starter here, um, and, and that's, going to, that, that's going to lead us to the big inning. Is that really what you thought was going to get you a big inning, or did you think they were going to pitch to Franco and forget the fact that there was an open base? Yeah, but he saw 40 pitches that day. Oh, I don't care that he saw 40 pitches. All right, and guess what? He saw the sixth pitch of that at bat, which should have been strike three. Luckily, got ball four called and walked in a run. 
Okay, so they got a break because it was in my in my mind it was strike three. But okay, yeah, good. I mean, it, it just depends how you want to describe the bat. He was patient. He worked yeah. it, you know. And, it, and to his credit, he, he did have a, a, a productive at bat in that situation. He was able to grind it out. Uh, but but we're talking could about have very that, easily going the other way. For yeah, sure. We're going for a big inning. They talked about we're always going to go for the big inning. The big inning ended up being an intentional walk, a walk, and an infield, infield single. single yeah. Okay, that's not a big inning. I don't care how you slice it. Yeah, they scored two runs. That's not a big inning. But now what you have to do is now now that you took your starting pitcher out so early, you now got to go four innings out of your bullpen. You got to get 12 outs. And they did. The bullpen was actually pretty good Saturday night. But then it turned into a disaster on Sunday because it was so overused on Saturday. Unnecessarily. All right? And now you have a situation where the bullpen is such a mess that it's in bad shape again tonight. So you need length from Pavetta. He gives it to you. And I'm not, I'm not arguing that you, you should have kept Pavetta in the game. But now, all of a sudden, maybe you, you should stick with Arano. He struck three guys out. He got three strikeouts. And yet the catcher screwed up, and one of the runs scored. Okay, but that doesn't mean he can't go get the next guy, too. He did his job. Stick with him at this point. But no, now you go to Adam Morgan, and Adam Morgan gives up the hit, and the Cardinals tie the game. Which was a predictable outcome, by the way. I mean, right. guys are hitting over 280 this season against Adam Morgan. Lefties are hitting 280-plus against Adam Morgan from the left side. And guys are getting on base against him. He, he's not getting out left-handers on a consistent basis. I just don't understand that move. You know, I get the idea of bringing in lefties to face lefties if you have a lefty that's good against left-handers. And, and they don't. He's not that guy. And he shows no capacity to be able to handle that situation. And I, you can play matchup all you want. You can do it all if you want. But at the end of the day, there are certain guys that can pitch in the ninth inning that have the tools and the mental wherewithal to do it. And then there are guys that do not. And Adam Morgan has clearly demonstrated on numerous occasions now that he does not possess the ability to effectively pitch in the ninth inning. And they continue to go to him in these spots because they think it's a good matchup. It's not. At some point, you have to read the human nature of this. And, and, and I, when you, I'm just, you get me fired up now, when I look at this, there's so many different ways that you could evaluate this bullpen. Let's start with the one thing that we know for sure, that Sir Anthony Dominguez is, is the guy. He has electric stuff. He is it. And I think that we all agree that he is a special talent, right? We're all on that page. Yes. You look at what he's done now in 17 games. He's pitched 21 in the third innings. He's only given up nine hits, 27 strikeouts. Um, his whip is like .563, I believe, and 11.4 strikeouts per nine innings. He's been awesome, right? He hasn't given up a hit yet against a slider this season. People are whiffing at it at almost like half the time he throws it. He's been awesome, and we all understand that. Let me just present this to you, though. In May, he pitched 11 games, 13 and two-thirds innings, two hits, 15 strikeouts, no walks, a .15 whip. In June, six games, seven and two-thirds innings, nine hits, 12 strikeouts, a 1.30 whip, three walks, and a 3.52 ERA. He's thrown 106 pitches in four relief appearances since last Sunday. And when you factor in all the warm-up pitches and all the up and down, don't you start to wonder, are they going to wreck this guy? Are they going to overuse him? And that brings up the, the situation or the, the debate about high leverage situations. Well, you got to use him in the highest leverage situations. I agree with that in theory if you have a functional piece that can pitch the ninth inning. This team does not. So how nice would it have been tonight to be able to say, hmm, we didn't have to use Sir Anthony Dominguez for two and a third innings over the weekend. We can just bring him in. He closed out the ninth on Saturday. That's what he should have done in theory if he was the closer. And then he would have closed out the ninth tonight, and he would have pitched his two innings, and we would have went about our business. I understand wanting to use your best reliever when it matters most and the game is in the highest jeopardy, but the bottom line is, A, I'm concerned that they're going to overuse this guy and it's going to make him ineffective, and B, I think that what you're seeing here is that they just don't have anybody else that can pitch the ninth. And so without that other piece, I think that this team, and I know that this is the minority opinion, and I know that this is like dumb old school baseball of me, but I feel like at some point they have to, they, they have to consider making this guy their primary ninth inning pitcher. Yes. Yes, Bob. And it's not crazy old school baseball. It's baseball. 
That's it. Okay? It's not old school. It's not all the old-fashioned way. It's baseball. I don't care how you slice it. The most important part of a game is 90% of the time going to be the ninth inning. Yeah, there are occasions, and I don't disagree. There are going to be times when in the seventh or the eighth, you find yourself in a jam and in a pickle, and you need your best pitcher. And in those instances, I have zero problem going to Sir Anthony Dominguez. But that doesn't necessarily mean to start the seventh inning. You know what I'm saying? I don't look at the start of the seventh inning as more important than the start of the ninth inning in a one-run, two-run game. I just don't. I don't care who the hitters are that are coming up. The fact still remains that there is more baseball to be played after it. And so, therefore, you cannot say it's more important because you don't know what the ninth inning is going to look like come the ninth inning. You don't know where it's going to be in the lineup. You don't know what the score is going to be then. Um, so the start of an inning, I can't sit here and say, yeah, that's the, that's the more high-leverage situation. Now, if you have a pitcher that's pitching, gets into a little bit of trouble, and now you got runners on base and only one out, and you sit there and say, well, geez, if they get a single, now they're, now they're going to take the lead. Yeah, this is an important situation. Yeah, okay, if you want to go in the, in the middle of the seventh inning and you want to go get Dominguez to get out of that jam, I'm fine. I'm totally cool with it. Go right ahead. I understand it. I get it. But I don't get starting an inning early with him. It doesn't make sense. You save your best bullet for the end when you know the game is on the line. That's it. That's it's it's a common sense thing. And anyone who's trying to tell you that baseball is not that, that there's a new way of doing it, is fooling themselves. And I think that's what it comes down to. I, I think that some people have dug their heels in like I'm new age. I, I'm. I understand the way baseball is now. I get numbers. I look at data, and and so do I. I mean, if you listen to this show, we ha- I heavily rely upon this stuff. I, I talk about spray charts. I talk about pool percentage. Uh, I talk about guys and and how they perform against certain pitches. We go into numbers like this. Isn't just like well, I look at batting average and RBI. It's all about production. I mean, you listen to us talk. We'll we'll dive into those numbers at times. But my, my, here's my primary argument. I, I think that sometimes it just becomes like, this is, this is the new way to do it, and I sound more informed if I go against what we are accustomed to hearing. If I give you a counterpoint, if I give you the contrarian viewpoint, it makes me seem edgier, it makes me seem smarter. And I think that that's what we're starting to see from a lot of baseball observers now. It's like, let me just go against traditional wisdom for the sake of going against traditional wisdom. So if you don't want Sir Anthony Dominguez to pitch the ninth inning, let me just offer you this. Then who do you want to pitch the ninth inning? Right. Do you want their current system, which is, was Hector Neris? No, obviously not. Do you want Victor Arano running out of the bullpen to, to close games out? Probably not. Do you want Jake Thompson closing games? Are you cool with that? Because I'm not. Um, Do you want Adam Morgan closing games? Hell no. Hell no. So that's the problem here. If you had a guy like, uh, you know, Kelvin Herrera, uh, that would be cool, um, who the Nationals acquired this evening. Um, If you had that guy, I'd say, yeah, sure. Sir Anthony Dominguez in the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, two innings, whatever you want to do. Gabe, knock yourself out, man. High leverage situations. Go get them, Tiger. My problem is this. You use that guy in the high leverage situations, and what your bullpen has proven to this point is that they are completely ineffective in the ninth inning. And so that leaves a gaping hole. They have nobody to plug that hole, so what do you do? And I think that that's the most convincing argument. One, I think they're going to destroy this kid, and they're going to overuse him, and I don't like the inconsistencies of how they use him, and I don't like you know, the multi-inning stuff. I, I know that he was a starter at one point, and they say that they're learning about him and that he can handle the workload. I don't know that, and, and they don't know that either. So for his self-preservation – I would like to see him have a more defined role. And number two, and more importantly, they just don't have anybody that can pitch the ninth inning. And until they find that guy, I just don't really understand doing it the way that they're doing it. I know they got away with it this weekend. I know they got away with it tonight, and that's awesome. And I'm happy they won the game. But this is not a sustainable model. And anybody that knows a damn thing about baseball knows that this is not a sustainable model. Here's a novel concept. When you have, a, when you have starting pitching like you do, and you're getting good starting pitching. What and, and you're and you also have a lineup that doesn't hit with regularity. Wouldn't the better path be instead of chasing a big inning, crossing your fingers and hoping that 
your mediocre at best lineup comes through, wouldn't the better path be rely on the starting pitcher as long as you can, hope that the lineup gets you something along the way, and then just go to the one or two guys at the back end when you when you need them that you can rely on. Um, and that to me is the is the 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 most simple way to go about this. And they have yet to do that in any game this year. They have yet to go the simplest and easiest route. And w- instead, we are putting the putting the bullpen in such a situation where they are they are destined to fail. That's what it's become. You've put them in a situation where they're expected to fail, and that's not good. And, and that, we've been look. I, I we've been saying it on this podcast since the beginning of the season that the bullpen deployment was going to come back and haunt them. And here we are. It's June, and it's haunted them already. And they they don't just need one arm, Bob, in the back of that bullpen. They need two before the deadline. And I know Nishek is, you know, rehabbing right now, and maybe he comes back, and you hope that he's about the same as he was uh, last year. So, okay, fine. If you get Nishek in, but I still think you need two more arms. You'd like to have four reliable arms in your bullpen. And right now, they have one, maybe two, if you count Ramos. And and that's and that's not enough. It's just not enough. <laughs> They've won three games in a row, right? They, they beat. They won two out of three against the Rockies. They won two out of three against the Brewers in Milwaukee. They come out tonight, have this really yeah. exciting win in the first. What are we yeah, doing? They're five and two in their yeah. last seven games, and, and, we're, we're, and we're bitching. And we're 20 minutes into this thing, and we're just destroying them. Um, they, they've got to do something about this, though, and they, they do. And I know that they can hide behind the, like, well, you know, we're a young team, and, and we're going to try to win, and we think that we can make the playoffs, except that when we don't play well, don't criticize this thing, because that's really what they're doing. They are playing both sides of this, and we talked about this last week week but they've they've got to fix this and it, it does and I think ultimately as much as I want to scratch my head over what Gabe Kapler's doing I think that he's just he's very limited in his options no and he I, is. I, this falls this on the point, GM the GM has yeah. to fix this if they if they want to play make-believe for the rest of the summer and tell us that they are taking this seriously and that they, they are committed to winning they've got to make a move I'm not saying that they got to go out and trade two or three of their top 15 prospects to, to lock up a lights out bullpen piece but they've got to get creative here they've got to find something else because what they have down there right now you you cannot you can't do this and you, it's not fair to the guys like Nick Pavetta that go out and go seven and third innings pitched strike out 13 they're out of their minds and and they don't get a win attached to their name because they have double a relievers out there trying to close out games in the ninth it's just it's unacceptable um it's it's not I don't think it sends a good message to a young team that, that's trying to find its way, that's trying to learn how to win. They are going to, and they have already on several occasions this season, cost themselves games that they should have won, and they're going to continue to do so if they don't fix this. They happen to get lucky the last two days, but as we've seen, they're going to, they're going to be on the other side of this more and more frequently as we progress here because what they have just is, is completely insufficient. Now, let's, let's get positive here for a second. It's been a couple weeks since I feel like we've been on here and, and we've said some good things. So let's talk about what is going well. And uh, what is going well is that we're starting to see some signs of life from this offense. Uh, namely, the, the top of the order, when you kind of look at the box scores now, you're starting to see some production across the board here. Uh, you, you got Cesar Hernandez, whose OPS is in the mid-700s at this point. Uh, you see this resurgence now from Reese Hoskins. Uh, he's been red hot since he returned from injury. Carlos Santana, the, the batting average isn't where you might want it to be. The OPS is very strong. Uh, there are some good things happening here. I know Dubal Herrera, after his his couple weeks where he was just absolutely terrible, has seemingly recovered as of late tonight, or I'm sorry, as well uh, of late, well, with his three-run homer tonight. Um, so things are, are things are picking up here for this offense, at least in the top half of the order, and there are some signs of life and, and some maybe reasons to kind of feel a little bit better about the direction of this offense, um, especially when you consider what it had been the, the past couple weeks. With that said, they did go, like we said, eight, eight innings tonight without scoring a run between the first and the tenth. So there is that too. <laughs> well, and there's going to be a lot of that still. There's going to be a lot of that still. I mean, but you're right. You, you got to take solace in the fact that Reese Hoskins comes back from the injury and looks like the Reese Hoskins we were expecting uh, this year. Um, really has a, a quick his a quick bat. 
Um, you know, he's got four, what four home runs since coming off of the uh, off the DL. Almost hit another one tonight. Um, he had another hit tonight. Walk, so he was on base a couple times. Scored a couple runs. He has his OPS over 800. He's at 836 now. Um, so so that's good too. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, you know, and like we we, we like we've been saying, Herrera is not going to stay in a slump for the rest of the summer. Uh, so it was good to see him, you know, kind of get off the schneid a little bit. Santana's been, you know, quietly one of the best hitters in baseball since May first. Um, you, know, you know what what he, what he did in April is going to probably end up affecting what his final numbers look like by the end of the year. But he's been really good for the past six weeks. Um, but yeah, there's no one there, there's no one else I can really say anything good about. I mean, Nick Williams was starting to, was starting to turn it around a little bit. Didn't have a, a great game tonight, and then of course he took a ball off the nose. Um, yeah, I think he's okay. Come. He told Kapler yeah. after the game that he's fine, so uh, that doesn't look like it's going to be a long-term thing that's going to keep him out for an extended period of time. Um, I, I will say this, and I think that what you've seen now, Reese Hoskins and his return and his return to form post-injury has, has been a, a huge stabilizing force for this offense. If you look at, at what he did in the month of May, he played 24 games prior to getting injured. He only had six doubles, two home runs. He hit 161 with a 551 OPS, knocked in nine runs during that time period. And the thing that really jumps off the page is that he struck out 32% of his at-bats. Uh, since his return, he's up to nine games now. He's 11 for 34. Uh, he has two doubles, four home runs, 11 RBIs, and an OPS uh, well over 1,100. And he's only striking out in 17% of his at-bats. So he's almost cut his strikeouts in half from May to June, uh, which is a big thing. And you talked about his, his quicker bat speed, and I think that that's, that's quite obvious. I think that you see that uh, with his production. If you've been watching the games lately, um, his home run on Saturday afternoon, 112 miles per hour exit velocity, hardest hit ball in over 250 um, at-bats that ended up with him putting the ball in play. So he's hitting the ball harder. He he definitely looks like more of the player that we saw in April and, and far from the player that we saw struggling in May. And I think that that's the most encouraging thing because ultimately this offense – is it is an offense that needs to be carried by its best players uh it's not a deep lineup it's not a lineup that can beat you in several different ways it's a lineup that's going to rely upon reese hoskins being well above league average in terms of offensive production and really oduble herrera doing the same and if they can get these two guys going at the same time that's where they have a chance to heat up behind the starting pitching, which I'm still high on. I know that Jake Arrieta has struggled. Uh, I know Aaron Nola wasn't great uh, this last time through the rotation on Sunday, but Zach Eflin has been a godsend in the month of June. He's been outstanding. Uh, they've won all three of his starts in the month of June. He was a real stabilizing force for this rotation, has given them some big-time performances when they've really needed it. And Nick Pavetta, uh, though he, he had been – struggling mightily the last three, four times through the rotation uh, was big tonight. And, and I still think you have three core guys there that you can, you can kind of look at and say, these guys are going to give us something every time through the rotation, well, most times through the rotation, and then you add in your Eflins and Velasquez's, and, and it's enough to, to find yourself in games most nights. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, the, the pitching, starting pitching is really good for the Phillies. Um, and you, you know, you say, well, this guy, you know, Nola struggled, and Arietta struggled, and Pavetta struggled recently. Um, I, I, we've said this before; it's kind of hard to pitch when you don't have any margin for error. And I think that a lot of times these guys kind of feel that way because they don't feel like the offense is is going to be there. But if you're able to start putting up some runs, um, like they have in the last couple of games, last few, you know, three or four games. Um, then maybe that maybe those starting pitchers can then approach the game a little bit differently, um, and not feel like that they have to be uh, as perfect and precise. And they could they could you know put out put together performances like Pavetta gave you tonight with 13 strikeouts that are really dominant. Um, they've had a bunch of those this year, and you know yeah of course is Aaron Nola going to have a clunker every once in a while like he had on Sunday? Sure. Um, we, you could see it in the first inning that he his stuff was not great. Um, he didn't have swing and miss stuff in that first inning, um, and, and then he kind of you know tried to struggle through four before he had to get pulled. Um, and you know Arietta's last start wasn't the greatest. Okay, fine. But if you start giving them run support, then they can pitch a little bit differently. 
and maybe once you once you start pitching a little bit differently, you can you know you can get better results. You don't always have to be so precise and so perfect. And I just think that it translates so well. Um, that's why I always say one you know they're not mutually exclusive. Your offense helps your pitching. Your pitching helps your offense. I mean, it just it just is the nature of the game. I just I'm looking at my notes, and and I know we got away from it, but I just have a couple more things on the bullpen real quick. I'm sorry. And I know that <laughs> usually usually we're really structured and like we move on from things, but I'm just like I can't let this go. The last 30 days, like I do research before every show. I, I dig around. I text you. I'm like, yo, I, I got something good on these guys. Or, you know, I found yeah. this thing. And, and just the last 30 days, the Phillies bullpen, this was entering tonight. 22nd in ERA, 4.55, right? Here's the thing. The bullpen in the last 30 days has the fourth most strikeouts in baseball, 10.38K per nine. And they're only behind the Astros, Brewers, and Yankees, all of which have excellent bullpens and and all of which are very very good teams the problem is that opponents are hitting 328 on balls in play it's the third worst mark in all of baseball Uh, they're lower third in terms of batting average allowed home runs per nine when they're hit like they are getting clobbered right and it just you just started talking about this offense and and we talked about Hoskins coming back and and I love Odubel Herrera, and, and you see him getting it going now and, and talking about Nick Williams, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know what? Like, they're going to be all right. And then I started thinking about the schedule, and I know they still have two more difficult weeks, and we can talk about this in a, in a couple minutes, and the schedule does lighten up. I know that you had something on that. And I'm like, they're going to be all right. And then I just keep looking at these bullpen numbers, and I go, how are they going to navigate this? And I just I can't get over it. Yeah, it, it, so I don't know how they're going to navigate the rest of this month. I think once the month, once they get through, you know, Cardinals, Nationals, Yankees, Nationals, which is the next four series, once they get through that, July lightens up quite a bit. They go uh, 22 games with 19 of them against teams that are below 500. Um, So they just really have to tread water here the next two two weeks or so. Um, they They can't get clobbered. So getting a win like they got tonight, while we kind of mock it a little bit, it, it's actually huge in a lot of ways um, because it's a game that they probably deserve to lose uh, because of the way things went, and they ended up pulling out a win, and that's a good thing. So, you know, like I said, if they can if they could be a 500 team here over these next two weeks, and you go into July six games over 500, I think you're in good shape at that point. Um, and, and it, not only that, you're probably buying the team a little bit of time to find, you know, find the players that you need to find to fix that bullpen. But boy, oh boy, even even the suggestion of going 500 over the next two weeks is so it seems outrageous to me because of the bullpen. I, and I know we don't want to go back into that again, but that's the thing. Like, how are they going to survive? The Nationals for six and the Yankees for three and two more against this Cardinals lineup with this bullpen. I, I don't know. And we I, talked about it. And, and it's, again, it, what is your overall expectation or what is the, what's the overall end game for this Phillies team? You know, as fans, fans are going to say, well, of course we want them to, to go for it. We want them to make the playoffs and we want to see if they can make a run. Of course that's what fans want to see. But what – what is the strategic plan in this front office? Is it, hey, if this team overperforms and we feel that there's a savvy move that we can make without mortgaging the future, we're going to make that move and we'll see what we can do in 2018. And I think that's the dream scenario, right? But yeah. that's, it's, that's a lot easier said than done, you know, to make that savvy move where you don't have to give up too much. It, it, those types of moves don't just fall into your lap all the time. So they're going to have some difficult decisions to make. Let's just say that they do stay afloat for the next two weeks and they get into mid-July and they are within, let's say, two or three games of a playoff spot. And they still have the same bullpen problems, which they absolutely will. And they're going to still have the same inconsistencies with this offense, which they absolutely will. But yet they still find ways to win. The starting pitching is still, you know, rolling. What do you do? I mean, do you at this point say like, 
hey, we'll, we will trade a guy like Ranger Suarez if it means that we can get uh, a valuable late-inning bullpen piece. Are they willing to do that? Are they willing to float out a guy like Jojo Romero in return for maybe a guy like Mike Moustakis, who's going to be a significant offensive upgrade at third base, whose contract is going to expire at the end of the season, and who the Kansas City Royals absolutely do not need, uh, nor will they retain beyond this season. Those are going to be the interesting types of decisions that they're going to have to make. You know, I don't think that they're going to part with guys like Sixto Sanchez. They're not going to part with maybe their one or their three, four, five best prospects. I don't think unless it's an absolute, you know, a slam dunk of a deal where you're going to get a, a major league piece that's going to be a valuable contributor for multiple years at a reasonable salary. But outside of that, I don't foresee that being the outcome. This team's going to have to eventually decide what are they really trying to be this year. And I think that they've kind of hedged their bet. We talked about that in previous weeks. Are they a team that really truly believes they can make the playoffs? Or are they really a team that kind of knows that it's all about 2019 and whatever they get out of this season is a bonus? As a, they as an organization are going to have to come to some type of consensus understanding and develop a game plan of what they want to be moving forward. Yeah, and I don't think that, you know what's crazy? I don't think they know. Is, is, that, is, is, that is it okay not to know at this point? I mean, do you have to know on, on June 18th what you're going to be? I mean, you would think yes, but maybe they, maybe they go out of their minds the next three weeks and they get red hot and you go, well, what the hell, why not? Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I mean, you, you always have to be prepared to adjust on the fly. There's no question. You always have to be prepared for the best and the worst case scenarios. Anyway, um, the Phillies, I don't think, are prepared for either one. How about that? I think that they're kind of stuck in a little bit of a no-man's land. Like, I don't think that they're sure what they want to be. I don't, I'm not sure if they – I don't think that they're sure – that they want to be a contender or they want to be a team that's still building for next year. I, I don't know that they know what they want to be. I think that they kind of surprised themselves a little bit, and at the same time, they also realize, oh, maybe we're not as good as we've looked at times. And so like they, they're kind of stuck in the middle. And so that leaves me to wonder what the trade deadline is going to look like for this team. Because it could go, it could go one of two ways: either they add pieces and make a run this year, <coughs> or they do nothing because um, they're not going to trade away veterans, and they struggle through August and September, and we start looking ahead to football season again. So I, I think that's kind of that. They're really the two choices, and I don't think we know a month out which one it's going to be. Yeah, and I think that this comes down to just how people watch baseball. There are a lot of people that I follow on Twitter and they go, you should just be happy that, that baseball kind of matters. The fact that you're even getting upset lets you know that we've made a lot of progress this season. <laughs> rage, is in, rage is replaced indifference in 2018, and, and that's really that's a, a positive step forward for people to follow the Philadelphia Phillies. And I don't know. I struggle with that because what I see here is an opportunity. And clearly you have a team that isn't there yet, but you also have a team that, given the way that the, the league is set up, given that there are only a handful of teams that are truly going to compete for this second wild card, I think to myself, well, why not these guys? Why not try to, to maybe jumpstart this thing and, and arrive a little bit more quickly than they initially had anticipated. And, and that's what I just keep coming back to. And so when I watch these bullpen performances, yeah, there's a part of me that understands that these are growing pains and that this is an incomplete product and that this really isn't about winning 95 games and, and being a World Series contender. I don't think anybody's fooling themselves into that. But I do look at it and say, why not? And if things do break right and they do stay afloat, as you said, and, and they take advantage of a suspect uh, you know, strength of schedule or a suspect slate uh, in, in July, why not make that move now? And, and why not take a shot now? And, and, and that's where maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Maybe that's a little bit irresponsible, but this is how I've been viewing these games, and, and that's the prism in which I'm looking at it. And You're right, though, Bob. I mean, let's, I'm going to make a cross-sport reference in this town. Did anyone think going into last season that the Philadelphia Eagles were a Super Bowl contender? No, absolutely no. not. No, they thought it would be okay. It's going to be Carson's first year as a quarterback, and he'll probably have a little bit of growing. You know, I mean, I mean, um, 
uh, you know, we'll probably have a little bit of growing pains, uh, but they'll be better than they were the year before. Maybe we make the playoffs and then see how it happens. That was kind of the, the thought going into the season with the Eagles. But then as the season progressed and you saw that the conference um, was was not going to be as strong as originally thought, and then you saw who the teams were that were going to be the competition, you kind of looked at it and said, you know what, there's an opportunity here. There's a chance here. So let's look at the, look at Major League Baseball. Coming into the season, I guess everybody just assumed the three division winners would be Washington, uh, Chicago, and the Dodgers. And then wild cards were considered uh, the Giants and then either you know Diamondbacks, Rockies, Cardinals, maybe one of those three teams. Here we are in June. Nobody saw the Braves being as good as they are, and they're good. Nobody saw the Phillies being in this race at this point, and here they are. Nobody saw Milwaukee, right? And nobody saw who else am I missing? Uh, who's winning out west? What am I forgetting? Uh, the Diamondbacks. Uh, the Diamondbacks uh, are actually yeah, the Di- yeah. Diamondbacks. Are, okay, that's right. They're they're back up in first place now. The Rockies have fallen apart. Um, so you know there are some other teams that kind of came out of nowhere, and yeah, so you know the, you know the Nationals are still there. The Cubs are still there. Okay, fine. Um, you know, maybe Dodgers could you know eventually. You know, get back into it again you know, once they start getting a little bit healthier. But the fact of the matter is, is that there is an opportunity here now for the Phillies. It's not an overwhelming separation between the best teams and the, and the middle ground teams. The, 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 the pack has kind of fallen back to the middle ground. Now, obviously, the, the trade that the Nationals made this evening is going to be a game changer. That's going to move the needle in their direction. But, you think so. But, but at the time so. of this recording, both teams are 38 and 32, and I'm not, going to make a, I'm not going to make any type of case whatsoever that the Phillies are better than the Washington Nationals. Please do not misconstrue what I'm about to say. But when you look at the Nationals, they do have a set of problems, too. I mean, by the way, I know Bryce Harper has 19 homers this year. I know that he has an OPS of 820, and that's all fine and well. Guy's hitting 212 right now. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman has really struggled this season. He's hitting 217. His OPS is sub 700. Um, Trey Turner uh, not having a great season. He's hitting 256, 725 OPS. I mean, that offense is struggling a little bit. They're, they're going through their own set of issues. Yeah. And oh, you know, well, you add, you said, you know, Herrera can be a game changer, and he could be a game changer. He's having, he was having a great year for the Kansas City Royals. I mean, really, the first two and a half months, he might have been the best relief pitcher in baseball. That said, he had a, you know, he had a pretty bad year last year for the Royals. He was not very good. And it's funny, like, one of the things that we're going to talk about, um, and one last thing, is going to be about bullpens a little bit around baseball. Um, and, you know, you just never know what you're going to get with a relief pitcher. So, yeah, he could come in here and he could be a difference maker in a positive way for the for the Nationals, or he could come in here and be a, a, a difference maker in a negative way for the Nationals. So you, you never know, really, with bullpen pieces. So I mean, the opportunity still exists. for the. I mean, the Phillies are, what, four games out of first? Three and a half? Yeah, three and a half. As three and a half out of recording. Four, yeah, three and a half at games out of first place. That's not bad right now. I mean, we're talking about the second wild card. There's three and a half games out of first place. I mean, when you when you look at it, if things kind of stay the way they are moving forward into the, later in the summer, you know, we could we're going to be talking come the end of August, Bob, about a couple of series looking ahead a month, and there's going to be a couple of series against the Braves in September. We're going to sit there and say, you know, could it possibly be the Phillies playing the Braves with the division on the line? I mean, we're going to have that conversation. I, it's it's very tangible. I can see it in our future, and to to deny that at this point is is crazy. So if you're the Phillies, embrace it and and fix what you can fix. You can fix this bullpen. You can you can get bullpen arms that are better than what you have, and not have to give up your top right top tier prospects. You know what I'm saying? Like you could get pieces that you need that are better than what you have for very little for pennies on a dollar. Yeah, I think that the formula for them to make the playoffs this season is crystal clear. I think that Reese Hoskins has to mash. I think that Odubel Herrera has to look more like the player he did in April and the first half of May and much less like the player that he was uh, for for a three-week stretch where he really just fell off a cliff. Carlos Santana 
has given them, and I'm finally willing to admit this or concede this point to you now, he's, he's given them the production that you would have reasonably expected at this point. Um, those three guys need to carry this offense because I don't think it's I don't think you're going to see some huge uptick in Scott Kingery's game. I, I think that again I'm not down on him. I think that he's going to be a fine major league player, but I don't know that this season you're going to see him hit 320 in the second half and lead this team down the stretch. I don't think that that's going to happen at this point. I think that though it may be premature, uh, I might be jumping the gun. I might come back and, and say, "Whoops, I got that one wrong." But I I think that JP Crawford's limitations offensively at this point are obvious and I don't think it's just this year I think that you can look at his struggles in the minor leagues a year ago I think you can kind of look at now a two-year sample where you say this guy's not going to be a 270 hitter in the major leagues he's just not I don't think that you're going to get big-time production from Mike Alfranco. I, I think that what we saw in the beginning of the year from him was a mirage. You're not going to see a rebound in those places. I don't think that Nick Williams and Aaron Altera are going to give you big-time production. So those three guys have to drive this offense. It has to happen. It's non-negotiable. The defense isn't going to be good. It may not even be the league average, but it can't be a bottom five defense. It has to start making routine plays. The stuff that we saw when Jake Arrieta was on the mound on Friday night when Scott Kingery made two errors, when we saw Reese Hoskins drop a routine fly ball coming in on one in left field, that stuff can't happen anymore. J.P. Crawford threw a ball six feet to the left of Carlos Santana tonight on a routine ground ball. It was a non-competitive throw. That type of stuff can't happen. They've got to at least get some type of measurable improvement defensively. Starting pitching has to be just as good. They probably need a little bit more from Jake Arrieta at this point, and Zach Eflin's going to have to contribute the way that he has. They need Nick Pavetta to, to be that guy. Um, and, and really, when you look past ERA and wins and losses, his numbers are still very impressive. You go into the deeper numbers, uh, like fielding independent pitching, all that stuff, he, he's still very, very good. They need Aaron Nola to still be a top three, four guy in the NL. That has to happen. And then they have to have some type of help with the bullpen. Those are the four things that have to happen. And if they can do those things, which isn't completely unreasonable, they could find themselves in the playoffs this year. It could happen. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Which kind of makes it seem like, why the hell are we sitting here bitching about them? Yeah. But the, but the fact is, is that they are really towing a line at this point. They're really they're walking the tightrope because they're 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 staying on top of the tightrope by winning some of these games in crazy ways and um, getting a little lucky sometimes and you know some things are working out that you don't expect them to work out. But then, you know, it, all it takes is for one or two things to start going south, and then you fall off that tightrope. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're, they're right there. They're hanging in. And so I got to give them credit for that, you know, for now. And, and wait and see what happens. But, boy, this is, a, this is a big week coming up because that series against the Nationals in Washington is going to be a very telling. I mean, I know we still have uh, two more games against the Cardinals, but this weekend series against the Nationals and then playing the Yankees at, at, at Citizens Bank Park and next weekend and the Nationals come in for four. Uh, four that, is it four or just three? I think I forget if they have a four. I think it might be a four-game series. It might series. be a four-game series, yeah. Um, either way, next week, th- these two weeks – this is it. This is this is. But but that's what's so fascinating about it because yeah. this isn't a veteran team. Like you're trying to find out what you have here, and you're trying to find out how they're going to respond in these situations. And and the one thing that is super encouraging, and I will say this, and, and this is a way to be positive. If you look at how they were so thoroughly dominated in the first two games of the Milwaukee series when they were at home last week, they come back and they salvage one on Sunday. And, and at the time, you kind of go, well, you know, I guess it could have been worse. You don't feel good about it, but you have to realize how important of a win that was. And then they come back, and they get murdered in the Friday game at Milwaukee. And, and the, the commentary after that was, if you want to know how far away they are from contending in the National League, all you have to do is look at what they've done against the Brewers in these first four games. They've played them this season. And then what do they do? They come back, have a great win on Saturday, and then they have a you know kind of hold on for dear life win on Sunday. And just like that, they go 3-3 three and three against one of the best teams in the National League. And, yeah, sure, when you look at run differential, and I think that the if you just look at it from terms of the eye test, you understand that the Brewers are – a much better team offensively. They have way more depth, and, and the bullpen is significantly better. But 
hey, I mean, they scratched together three and three out of those six games. And, and there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for the fact that they went out to L.A., had a terrible loss in the first game of that series, still split out there. There's something to be said for the fact that they split in St. Louis in a four-game se- uh, series earlier in the year. There's something to be said for that. And so I think that when we say this game, th- this series against the Nationals this weekend is so important, what they do against the Yankees is so important, it's important because – Every night is an opportunity to learn about the character and the makeup of this team. And so, yeah, it's kind of interesting to look at them, chase the playoffs, and see where they fall in the standings, and look at what individual guys are doing and how they're maturing in really their first, second year of being at this level. But it's it's interesting to evaluate what this team is made of, and, and you're kind of learning a little bit more and more about them. And at this point, I'm ready to just kind of say it's not pretty. Uh, I have significant concerns about some of these guys on an individual basis, but damn, like there's something a little bit impressive about this team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you said it correctly. Um, there are 11 games uh, left in uh, these two weeks. So they will actually be at the uh, exact halfway point of the season uh, after the second national series next weekend. So they will have played 81 games at that point. You know what? If there's still five, six games over 500 at that point, I, I think that that's when we can really start to get excited and say, you know what? It's going to the schedule. They got through the gauntlet of the schedule. They didn't fall off the table. They didn't completely get buried. Let, let's let's get excited about this team now, and hopefully, with internally, the team gets excited about themselves as well, because that would be a a real good spot to be in uh, at the eighty one game point. So you know what I wanted to do next? I wanted to talk about Nick Williams versus uh, Aaron Altair. Yeah, and, and I don't want to do it anymore because Nick Williams ate a ball off his face tonight. And uh, did you did you happen to catch that play? Did you see it? Yeah, I did yeah, see it. it was, the super slow mo makes it look even worse than yeah, it. I mean, he, than it, than he it probably actually, was. if you if you get a chance, go on uh, the Coggin Toboggan's uh, Twitter account, and uh, he has a, a very good zoomed in photo of it. You'll uh, you'll enjoy it. Um, I, I don't want to talk about them. Uh, I do want to just briefly say that uh, coming in tonight, Aaron Altair had a six fifteen OPS, and Nick Williams had a seven forty five OPS. Uh, and he's better against left-handed pitching uh, than Aaron Altair is, and uh, he's also three years younger, and uh, he's striking out less. And I know he doesn't walk as much, but he's still a much more productive hitter. So, uh, <clears throat> but I don't want to talk about those two, and I don't want to tell not, you how I really ta- feel about. It. We're not going to talk about them. Not talking about. Now, uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think what you're seeing now lately is that um, the at bat distribution between those two players is starting to even out a little bit in uh, recent weeks. Nick Williams is starting to get more playing time, and I think that he's getting more playing time because it's starting to become somewhat apparent here that he's the better baseball player. I think that both are very flawed players, uh, but I think Nick Williams just gives you a little bit more thump, a little bit more production in this lineup than than what Aaron Altair is giving you to this point. Um, I just I didn't expect this guy to struggle this much, and and who knows. Maybe his uh, base hit that, that got by Ozuna in left field tonight scored two runs and helped the Phillies to a walk-off win. Maybe that kick starts him. I, I don't know. I doubt it, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that there's a little bit more to it than just needing a kick in the ass or a jolt that way. But, um, you know, maybe. But they need somebody to step up between one of those two guys. Williams is, is slowly climbing in terms of OPS, but they need more out of that spot. And that's that's why I think it's been really one of the – the two biggest disappointments offensively, that and probably the production of Scott Kingery. So it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, I don't think they're going to go outside the organization and acquire outfield help at the deadline. I think that they might look at third base, uh, and I, I think that that's definitely a possibility, but I just don't see them adding another outfielder uh, to try to jolt this offense. So they need one of these two guys to, to get it together here and at least give them league average production. All right, Bob, since we're not talking about Nick Williams and Aaron Altair on this podcast. Yes. One last thing. Uh huh. Have you seen uh, the what has happened to the Cleveland Indians bullpen? Yes. <laughs> yes, I have. So, so Sam <laughs> feel Miller, free to explain it. Yes. Sam Miller does a real nice story um, on ESPN talking about bull, talking about their bullpen, and they had uh, last season um, they had the nineteenth best bullpen since nineteen eighty eight. And uh, their OPS uh, allowed relative to the rest of the league's relievers. Um, that, that's that's what was the eight, I'm sorry that's what was 19th best since '88. They had the lowest ERA in uh, in baseball 
uh, Cleveland's relievers last year. Um, and it was their bullpen was so good and so deep that in the playoffs that there were three relievers who had ERAs in the twos that couldn't even make the postseason roster. Okay, that's how good their bullpen was. This year, they're they have the highest ERA in baseball, and their um, uh, OPS allowed relative to the rest of the league's relievers is the seventh worst since 1988. Now they did give up on they give did lose two guys out of that bullpen, neither of which are doing well in uh, their new situations. Uh, Joe Smith, I think, went to uh, Houston and he's his ERA is like five and a half. And Brian Shaw has been a disaster in Colorado. Um, but if you look at who's left in, in the Indians' bullpen, Cody Allen's ERA is up uh, a point, uh, almost a point and a half. Andrew Miller's up almost three points. He went from 1.44 to 4.40. Dan Otero is up almost four runs from 2.85 to 6.55. Zach McAllister went from 2.61 to 5.54. Nick Goody went from 2.80 to 6.94. It's, it's un. Believable. So here's but here's my, the the reason why I wanted to bring this up, because I think Sam Miller wrote one of the greatest paragraphs in the history of baseball writing, um, and I, I I just wanted to read it to you real quick because it says a lot about why you shouldn't build your team around the notion of we have a bullpen that will just be good enough, uh, that will just dominate a game, and our pitchers only need to throw five innings. Because here's here's what he writes. relievers are like slices of buttered bread constantly falling off tables and it's anybody's guess whether they'll land with the butter side up when they do you're in the playoffs when they don't for whatever reason small sample flukes a few weeks of wildness an unexpected injury an expected injury age-related velocity declines loss of feel for one pitch or the fact that if they're relievers then maybe they weren't good to begin with you've got a carpet covered in butter at the worst possible time and i think that it's brilliant because that's what the game has become so many teams are relying on a bullpen we talked about you know seven men eight man bullpens um, you know, going with your best relievers in the sixth, seventh inning if it's the best leverage situation. We've had all these conversations. I talked about the Tampa Bay Rays a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Building their starting, you know, who they're st- sending out at the start of games based on their bullpen. Uh, and, yeah, yeah and, and it's probably the most volatile position in baseball, and yet there are 30 teams in this sport. I, I don't think there's anybody who's really old school anymore. There are 30 teams in this sport who are relying heavily on the most volatile position. And it makes zero sense to me as a rational human being. Well, if you, look at the, if you look at the Indians in particular, I think Andrew Miller started off uh, the season very hot, right? And then he, he got hurt. I don't know. I think he's hurt now as well. I know he got hurt, and then I, 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 he was getting hit around a little bit. And I don't know. Uh, I actually don't have the article up in front of me. I'm pretty sure he came back and got hit around, though. And then I think he's actually back on the DL again. So yeah. I think that he's a key piece of that bullpen. And so his injuries right there, I think, is, is a big part of, of their decline as a unit. Um, and I think that Cody Allen's having a really bad season this year as well. And he was awesome last season. I think those were like the two guys that really jump out. Um, to, to kind of equate this back to what we're talking about with the Phillies, I mean, sure, if you look at a guy like Hector Naris, his strikeouts, talk about how goofy relievers are. His strikeouts, he's at a career best K per nine rate right now. He's out of this world. He's up over 11. It's, it's his best of his career. But he's also given up eight home runs in 27 innings. He gave up nine home runs in 72 innings a year ago. So you want to talk about uh, just the variation of performance and what you can expect out of relief pitchers. I think that in and of itself tells you all you need to know. I mean, Hector Naris can still throw a baseball by a hitter at the same rate, which he always has, and actually at a better rate. But the rest of the performance has been absolutely hideous, so much so that he was optionally high value this afternoon. You talk about not really knowing what to expect. You look at a guy like Adam Morgan, right? He comes out of nowhere, and you're like, the, the Phillies might have just developed and transitioned Adam Morgan from a mediocre starting pitcher to one of the best left-handed relievers in all of baseball. He's throwing 97 miles an hour on a consistent basis. He's spotting his fastball in 2017 out of the bullpen, and he throws an effective slider that lefties couldn't touch. And now all of a, all of a sudden, lefties, like we talked about earlier in the show, hitting 280 off him, getting on base over 40% of the time, he can't get anybody out all of a sudden. 
what has really changed? It's not a decline in velocity, and not with him. So, so there are so many different variables that go into reliever performance that, yeah, it, it's it's probably a foolish strategy to build a team entirely around a bullpen. But I would tell you that there have also been teams that have been very successful doing this as well. So you know, right? But, the, but what, that's what I'm saying. So it's so why make it? Why make your strategy in baseball so hit or miss? I, I'll give you. I'll give you another. Stat from from the same article, which kind of I, I found interesting, um, especially since it's a stat that uh, you that you've used um, when talking about team defense, right? So um, from one year to the next, team defense uh, measured by uh, UZR ultimate zone rating um, has shown a correlation of about 0.44, right? So basically, um, in uh, a correlation of one means it's a perfect correlation, and a correlation of zero means there's no relationship at all. It's just random, okay? So to be .44, say that's kind of, you know, in the middle from one year to the next. So your defense is going to be, you know, it's not going to be perfectly the same from one year to the next, but, you know, right around 50%. Um, so it, it, you kind of get it's, – it's a little hit or miss, but it's not too ridiculous. Um, from one year to the next, team offense has a correlation of .41. So it's a little bit more volatile. Starting pitchers – 0.55. So they're the most reliable. Okay. Bullpen, 0.30. The least reliable from one year to the next. So the most reliable. So that's the thing that drives me crazy. The most reliable position, statistically, um, on a, in a, on, from one year to the next, performance wise, is starting pitchers. And the least reliable is relief pitchers. And yet we're in an era where relief pitchers are being used more, and they're going to set a record for most innings pitched ever by relief pitchers this year. Um, and yet th- that's the way teams want to approach it, and it just doesn't seem to to make any sense. That any rational mind would look at that and say, "Yeah, what, what the hell are they thinking? What are they doing?" Yeah, and that's how Tommy Hunter gets a two-year deal in the off-season, and that's how <laughs> Pat Neshek, at what is he, 37 years old, gets a two-year deal worth you know over 16 million dollars, and you build your team the way that they did. And then again, I always just kind of take it back to the Phillies, and, and you see well how that's worked out. Tommy Hunter was one of the best relievers in in the American League last year. He has been better as of late, but he got off to a horrendous start here in Philadelphia, and he was hurt, and then he wasn't effective. And Pat Neshek, we haven't seen him throw a pitch on a major league mound yet this season. Um, so, yeah, there's something to be said for it maybe not being the best way or the, the most efficient way to build your team and to try to stock that as your strength. Yeah, I mean, all, all it really does, all that, all that this correlation statistic really shows you is that as a general manager, you can do everything right statistically based off of last season and still end up with a, with a, with a hot mess of a bullpen. Like the Cleveland Indians have, or and the Phillies have. So or, how about this? So, or you could do, or you could do nothing at all and end up with maybe the best relief staff in baseball. So this week, when Matt Clentak talks to reporters, next time he comes out and he does one of his like in the dugout sit downs, he should just say, "Listen, I tried, but uh, you just can't predict bullpens. You know what I mean?" And then yeah. he just like winks and, and, and like goes back into the clubhouse. Is that? I mean, he could probably say that at this point. You know, in theory, it kind of made sense, but you know, look what happened to Cleveland. I I tried, and that's kind of what's going on here as well. Now, with that said, hopefully that variation happens in season for the Phillies, right? Like maybe. Maybe this is just everything that could have possibly gone wrong to this point has, and things are going to turn around in short order. That's what they almost have to hang their hat on right now. If they don't have a good plan or somebody that they've identified that they might be able to go out and add to the mix. But, yeah, definitely an interesting thought. And uh, you see teams, teams outside of Philadelphia are struggling with this as well right now. Yeah, well, it, it's a struggle all over baseball, and I, I think it's their own doing. They 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 made this bed now they have to sleep in it so, but uh, anyway that should uh, wrap things up for us in a tidy one hour and five minute show that we have to, for you this week, um, so don't forget to check us out again uh, next week and the other uh, podcasts on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network I was I was chastised for leaving the word podcast out of our network ah. did you know that that's in there see on on our Slack chat it just says. CBN, so I assume that's Crossing Broad Network, but apparently there's a silent P, a in, P there in there somewhere. As well. okay. Yeah, that that's not showing up anywhere. Um, so it's the it's the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, and uh, the Crossing Broad Pocket Podcast Network also features um, the uh, Crossing Broadcast with Kyle Scott 
and Russell Joy, which is some days, sometimes during the week. I can't even tell you when anymore because uh, it's so random. And that's uh, why it's important that you subscribe so that way you get right. a notification on your phone. <laughs> yes, That's where you know what's in there. Um, then we have the hockey podcast, which is Snow the Goalie, uh, which we had Ron Hextall on, Flyers general manager last week, which was kind of cool. That's uh, Russ and, and myself. And then the two soccer podcasts, which everybody's going to be listening to now because of the World Cup. How much uh, uh, World Cup have you watched, man? You've been watching uh, the World Cup at all? So my son wanted to – was. My son's a soccer fan, my youngest son, and he wanted to watch um, the Iceland uh, game the other day because they were playing Argentina, and it was a 1-1 tie. So we watched a little bit of that. Um, but other than that, no, I've not watched anything. Are you rooting for Mexico with Landon Donovan? <laughs> Is Landon Donovan even playing for it? I'm going to show you how much I've, I've paid uh, attention. You didn't hear about the Wells Fargo thing with Landon Donovan? No, that could just show you how much I've paid ah, attention, on, right? That's like all over the news. No, oh, I'm sorry. You need to listen to Crossing Broad FC. Yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in now. Uh, yeah, Crossing Broad FC with, with uh, Russ and Phil Kaidel. And if you like the MLS, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid. Who's, is he back from Europe yet, or is he, he is still over? He's not back from he's Europe. He's still over in Europe, yeah. Uh, and David Zeitlin, that, that's on, on Saturdays on the Crossing Broad podcast. Network. So for Bob Wankel at BW Crossing Broad, our Phillies uh, beat writer, uh, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo at Ant San Philly on Twitter. We'll see you next week.